When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, welcome into the House of L podcast. Man, this is one of the episodes that I've been dying to do. I'm really excited about you hearing from my guest this week, as we do every week. Always try to give you some great conversation, but this week in particular, I don't ordinarily do themes. Like, I don't ordinarily look at the calendar and say, hey, this is coming up, so I should do something about this. But with the Super Bowl on its way this week, I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to talk to one of my favorite colleagues ever. Matt Bowen is amazing. He's amazing. And if you're talking about trying to carve out a niche – After you're done playing football, he had the right formula and the right makeup to do it. And I'm going to let you hear from him coming up in a little bit. I wanted to to let you know about some of the things with the podcast. I try to keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast. Things are going well. I've had – I'm trying to take a a more targeted approach – and a more serious approach to the business side of it because mainly because now people are depending on me. <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? When it's just me doing the podcast, there's, you know, there's no cost for the most part. There's no cost to me doing the podcast. But we are going to expand in the next month. There are going to be new shows that I am going to put inside of house of l Um, i'm not ready to announce them quite yet but there's going to be at least two new podcasts that are going to live inside of house of l and maybe a third if i can find a little bit more sponsorship help and i'm planning on digging back into my own pockets for an investment because if i'm not going to invest in my own company then what are we doing this for, right? But if you are someone that would like to be involved with this podcast, and I'm telling you I'm going to bring in some really good people that are going to do fun stuff with their their episodes, hit me up, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. And we can find the the partner pod for you. We are trying to give you what you need and do what you like as Digital Underground would say. So House of L Podcast at gmail.com. If you've got a business that you want to promote, I was just doing crunching some of the numbers for a pitch I was making to a company that I'm really hopeful I can partner with. And 
I'm here to tell you that we are we are getting impressions. We're we're doing very well on our impressions and our downloads. So please, if this is the first time that you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe. Like subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, unsubscribe. Uh, it, it actually really helps. Tell a friend, share an episode that you think is really good, and thank you. Um, you can always hit me up on Twitter as well if you liked an episode at Lawrence W Holmes. That's where I am on Instagram as well. All right, enough of the the hard sell on this podcast as it continues to grow. Matt Bowen, I remember, I remember a, f- a few years ago, which now it must have been like ten years ago at this point. I remember on my nighttime show we used to do a segment with Matt Bowen called Film Session, which people thought was weird. I had colleagues in the building who told me that the idea of me and Matt Bowen breaking down plays that people couldn't see was idiotic and would never work. Well, it did. The segment went really well. And it went really well because Matt's good. (laughs) And, and that's whether I was reading him when he was writing stuff in the paper, knowing that he was a local dude, getting to know him a little bit when he was doing stuff for the score. Like, I knew that he could kind of make my vision of elevating conversation about football on radio. I knew that he had what it took to get us there. Like, it's all you have to do is listen to him talk about football. And you you would understand that this guy understands how what he's looking at and then how to teach it. And so we did that, and of course, as soon as uh, something goes well on my show, it ends up on other people's shows. But he was being given a bigger platform, and I am all for that. Like, that's a big thing. That I'm about that's that even goes with this podcast like that's part of the reason that I do it is because I want to have I want people to have space to do some of the things that they want to do and sometimes in media companies that is not always allowed so it's part of the reason that I started House of L in the first damn place but back to Matt his approach to teaching the viewer the listener the reader about the game of football is is so great, so amazing that I've been dying to get him on the podcast, but he's super busy because either he's breaking down tape of the pros or he's breaking down tape of high schoolers because he coaches high school or he's taking care of his four boys or he's on ESPN doing the edge matchup show or he's writing about it on ESPN.com. So we finally made it work. We had a couple of scheduling snafus, but we finally made it work. I kid you not. When I say that, that this is one of my favorite analysts, I think that he is terrific and to get him this week, the week of the super bowl is even better. There's some fun stuff in here. There's some X and O stuff, and there's some super serious stuff, because really, a big portion of this conversation is about teaching. 
and we both are very passionate about teaching and I think it'll come through inside of this episode but if you didn't know and we talk about it inside of here Matt Bowen was the player who was drafted before Tom Brady and and there is a big component of the podcast that is dedicated to that but you have to understand keep that in mind and I think Matt stopped playing in 2009 something like that 2009 2010 he stopped playing 11 years later Tom Brady is getting ready to play for a Super Bowl he played against this guy in college it's amazing so he has a wonderful Tom Brady story I was able to I did a little digging and I asked him about something and he gave me a great Tom Brady story so it is in here but not bef- not before we get through him talking about the things that are important to him teaching family and football this is my friend Matt Bowen on the House of L podcast. Were you already thinking ahead to what would happen post NFL life? I was. Yeah, sure. Because, you know, I, I had a journalism degree from Iowa. And, you know, when you're someone like me, a journeyman who bounces around a bunch of teams, um, I took advantage of that for trying to establish a, a path for post career. So, when I was in St. Louis, I wrote a couple pieces for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Uh, when I was in Green Bay, uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, they had like a Packer Plus section. So I'd write a couple things for them. And then when I, when I was in Washington, it was the Washington Times. I uh, started writing for them. And then my last stop was in Buffalo with Coach Duran. And a small paper called the Niagara Gazette. Hmm. Uh, and I got hooked up with the editor there. And I said, hey, can, can I write uh, for the paper? You know, I wasn't looking for anything. I was, you know, just doing it for free. He said, hey, can I write for the paper? I'll give you a couple columns. And, you know, I started back then at that, you know, this is in 2006. You started gaining what we call clips, right? You gain clips. You start building a resume of what you can do as a writer. Now I look back at some of that stuff. I wasn't a very good writer at that time. I look back at some of that stuff and say, man, I could have been so much better. But it kept me involved. It kept me writing. And then when I got done, Lo, Uh, You know, when you get done as a player, uh, and I think this is for everyone, whether you play five years, whether you play 15 years, whether you're a pro bowler or just a guy like me, you kind of drift a little bit. Um, My wife and I, we were living in Wrigleyville and, you know, right down the street, Fremont and Addison, right down the street from, from Wrigley Field. And I got done. I filed my retirement papers and I said, well, what do I do now? And what do I do? I don't know what to do. And my wife's like, well, why don't you go back to school? And I'm thinking, nah, I don't know about that. I don't know about going back to school. So she convinced me, and I went to DePaul and started my master's in what is called writing and publishing. And I walked in there, and he talked about a competitive environment. It mm-hmm. was a competitive environment, one that I wasn't used to at first. Uh, you know, a different type of environment, but you're still competing at the same time with your classmates and with your professors. I remember we had to take this midterm halfway through. Uh, it was like a midterm to stay in the program, too. It wasn't just like a midterm you take, uh, you know, in college. It was a midterm to stay in the program. So there was some pressure situations in there, which I appreciated. But it helped me so much as a writer, Lo, because I was taking poetry, short story cycle, fiction, 
nonfiction, literary fiction, essay writing, rhetorical grammar, you know, your diagram and sentences from Norman Mailer that are, you know, <laughs> 20 lines long, you know, you're do doing some different things. I think the best thing about it was I started to establish my voice as a writer. And that's the, the best advice I can give to any young writer, whatever field you're in, whether you're covering sports, music, politics, it doesn't matter. What type of voice do you have as a writer? And I think that's where I started to develop a much more conversational tone. And I think that's helped me a lot because, you know, Lo, what I write about. I'm working on a thing right now for ESPN, you know, the game plan keys for the Super Bowl with the Chiefs in Tampa. And, and some of that stuff can get pretty technical. You're talking about late safety rotation and, and moving to cover two and Tyron Matthew dropping down as a robber safety. Well, how do you say that stuff so people can understand it? And how do you say that stuff so you're almost like you're having a conversation like you and I are having right now, but you do it on the page. You do it through writing. I think that really helped me, uh, one, establish some great relationships with my professors from DePaul that I still talk to. Um, and, and the other thing is becoming a much stronger writer. I, I love that you're doing this. And I remember like when you would uh, come on with me where I, people would ask me and they'd say, I, this stuff that you're doing with Bowen is too complicated. Like it's too, like I, I literally got that feedback from people. Like this is too mm -hmm. complicated. People can't understand this. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. People are craving this type of information that Matt is out here throwing out and he will get them up to speed. And I, I think that's one of the things that you're really good at is taking something that looks complicated. Like if we were to put it on a dry erase board, it, it might look complicated to me or or to the listener. But I thought that you've always done a good job of distilling it down and making it so that people can digest it and say, oh, I understand what happened on that play. OK, I understand what a cover to the, the kind of the, the simple principles of a cover to defense is because Matt was able to explain it to me. Yeah. And I think it took me a while to get there Lowell, because when I first started um, even coming right when I was at DePaul and I first started writing, I guess, post-career, I was writing a couple of examiner, uh, a couple of columns, for the Washington examiner. And I was writing on deadline post game for the sun times and the bears. You know, just watching the game on TV and giving my thoughts, you know, whether it was Charles Tillman making a play, you know, these were outstanding Bears football teams back then. And I think I went back, this wasn't too long ago, might have been a couple of years ago, and I went back and I found all that stuff. And I thought it was a little too technical at that point. So it took me time to, you know, I always use this term, sometimes you have to massage your own writing, right? Mm -hmm. You have to. And you look at it and you say, man, I know what I'm saying here. But am I losing people? And that's the worst thing you can do as an analyst, as a teacher in an English classroom. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to connect the people you're instructing, right? So that was part of my maturation process as a writer, too, was saying, okay, I can break down Lovey's defense back then, cover two, and what Erlocker does, what Lance Briggs does, and how Tommy Harris impacts that defensive front. But how do you explain it so people can take that information and learn from it and also use it themselves. From those professors that you had at DePaul, and you said, you know, it was a competitive environment. How do you think that they were able to influence and maybe change the way that you thought about taking your gift and expanding on it? Well, I think they, you know, I always use this term. And I played for so many different coaches, Low, You know, going back to high school, you know, two head coaches at the University of Iowa and then five 
head coaches in the pros. Think about how many different position coaches <laughs> you have during that. And I was always a guy that wanted to be coached hard. Okay. And that's how my professors treated me too. They would simply tell me it wasn't good enough. And I think you have to hear that as a writer. I remember Mike Kellums was my editor at the, when I worked for the Tribune. And I, I love Mike. I learned so much from Mike. You know, Mike was tough on me. Uh, you know, there was columns I'd write and he'd send, send them back. And he'd just say, you know, this isn't good enough. You know, it has to be better. We have to do this. We have to change X, Y, and Z. Um, I think that's what was great about my professors at DePaul is, uh, you know, they taught me hard. They taught me hard. They, they expected, um, like, any, like any great coach would, and I've always said this because my wife's a teacher we talk about all the time, is, you know, teaching and coaching are the same thing. You're just in a different platform. You know, one's in the classroom, one's out in the grass. But uh, your ability to get the best out of your students, the ability to get be the best out of your athletes is really pretty similar. And how you deliver that message and how you can coach them or teach them hard, but also love them at the same time. Okay, and that's what I've learned the most, uh, Lawrence, as you know, I, I coach at IC Catholic out here in Elmhurst. Um, that's helped me a ton, too. That's helped me a ton as a writer. You wouldn't believe so, but look, you have to explain stuff. Um, you know, we're base quarters defense, base cover three defense. And you have to understand that we, we practice as one program. So I can be teaching an 18-year-old young man at one point and then a 14-year-old young man at the next point. So there's a difference there. There's a difference in terms of the maturation of knowing the game of football and how you teach that to a, to a young man is the same way when you're doing it with writing is you have to explain it in a way that they understand it. In the same way I coach, when I coach, uh, you know, I'm not a screamer. I played for a ton of screamers, <laughs> trust me, I have, but I'm not a screamer. I don't raise my voice. I teach, I teach in the field. Um, but with the guys that are experienced and the guys that are leading our football team at the high school level, you know, I coach them hard, but I do it in a way that there's a respect. There's an avenue of respect. There. I've always said coaching and teaching. It's a two-way street, student to teacher, athlete to coach. It's a two-way street. And once you develop that relationship, once you show them that you love them, then you can coach them harder. You can teach them harder. And that's the experience I had with my professors at the ball. How hard is it being someone who's played the game at the highest level for as long as you did to then go back to the basics when you're you're coaching in high school or is, or is there some relief in being able to take complicated things that you learned at, at Iowa or in the NFL and then say all right let's break it all the way down and 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 have the light cut on for these young men that you're coaching uh, I think you can still make it high level low you can still make it high level instruction at the high you know in the high school game right now because the game has advanced so much uh, you know, comparable when you and I were in high school playing. The game has advanced so much. It's much more pass-heavy now. I think there's much more scheme involved. But you can teach it at a level where the kids understand it. Okay, you can teach at a level where they understand it, they can play fast. And give them, that's what I always say, give them what they need to know, right? Give them what they need to know, especially for the defensive side of the ball. Now, offensive guys are wired differently. I've always said that. Defensive guys are, are wired differently than them for a reason. It's more about reaction. It's more about playing with your eyes and playing fast and, and understanding what can make you a great football player at any level, really. But at the high school level, the way I teach it, it would be, I mean, I don't think it'd be much different at the NFL level. I really don't. The way I, you know, my personality as a coach, I don't think it would be that much different. Yes, the scheme would be a little higher. We understand that. 
competition would obviously be much faster against NFL players. We get that as well. But at my level where I coach, I teach in a way that allows them to play fast in the field, not second guess themselves. I think sometimes as a coach, you can overload people. You can overload people. I always remember this with Greg Williams, who's my defense coordinator in Washington. He always told me, you should go into a game with four plays you can make. Four. Okay, four plays based on your film study, based on the study of offensive tendencies, based on the study of opposing team personnel. There's four plays you can make. Maybe it's two by two, and it's a, it's a certain alignment by the wide receivers. You have to make that play. And the rest of the time, you just play football, right? Those are four plays out of 60. The rest of the time, you just play football. You use the technique that's taught and coached. You use the alignment and assignment that's taught and coached. And then you play with your eyes. And that allows you to play fast. So when I teach at the high school level, it's more about that. Yeah, I try to give them four plays that, they're, that they can make. But the rest of the time, you're teaching the basics, the fundamentals. And that's what our program is at IC. And that's why I think we've been so successful at IC is we don't overload them with information. Now, we overload them with technique because that's how you win football games, but we don't overload them with information to the point where you have young kids out there who are more concerned about something else than their basic keys. What's that feeling like? Because you've had some winning teams there. You guys have been uh, a standard in your division of football. What's winning like there for you as a coach versus Matt, the player, winning? Um, I'd say it's probably more important. Okay, I've had, you know, and I can tell us, I've had a hard time. I, I will never stop thinking about it. Okay, I've had a hard time just post-career as an athlete that I never got to play for a championship. Okay, that will always bother me. And, you know, I guess it's the easiest way to say it. It doesn't make me angry or sad. It's just, it's something in the back of my mind. It's something that's when I don't sleep at night sometimes, I still think about it. That I didn't win a championship at any level. Played in really good football teams. I'm, you know, I'm not saying I played in horrible teams. I played in some really good football teams in the pros. I played on three bowl teams in college. Played in a state playoff team in high school. But I never got to the top. I never did. And it always bothered me. It still does. But from a coaching perspective, um, and I'll say this first, Lo, you know, one of the reasons I went back to coaching and I got into coaching in the first place, I guess the best way to say it is I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing the best uh, mentally, I don't think, in terms of that. I, I missed that being in a like-minded environment. It's one thing to write about football. It's one thing to talk about football and to study the game. But when you can't take that and put it somewhere else, what I mean by that, Lowe, is you can't take that knowledge, you can't take that experience and, and pass it on. Uh, I, I, I struggle with that. And I think getting back into coaching, getting into an environment with like-minded people, really helped me mentally it, it really did um and i you know we didn't have high school football this fall right obviously in the state of illinois now there could be an announcement today that we might get some spring games we'll see what happens there but one of the things i tell people all the time is that you know the young men i coached had a hard time with it had a hard time with not being on the football field with not being in that environment well i did too i did too i, I really did um so I guess the best way to say it, Lo, is that for me, coaching has been one of the most rewarding experiences I've had, uh, whether, you know, talking about post-career 
And for me, it has meant more than what I did as an athlete. I have similar feelings about teaching. And, I, and I've been teaching a class at DePaul since 2012. And there's something that happens when the light clicks on for a student where you're working with them on a concept and they get it and you can see them apply it. And you go, oh, like, yes, like the, that moment of discovery that the student has. So for you, and I think that you're 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 making a really great parallel between what coaching at its root is. It's teaching. What's it like for you when you explain a concept to your players and then you see it happen on the field and you're like, that player completely got what I was trying to explain to him? It's a great feeling. And the other feeling, and you'll understand this too from a teaching aspect, is seeing the development, right? And it's, you know, seeing the development of a student in an English classroom, again, is no different than seeing the development of a football player on the field. Um, and like I told you earlier, we, we practice as one program. So I get to work with these young men when they come in when they're 14 years old and see their development from 14 to 15, 16, 17 and into their senior seasons it is one of the most rewarding things. Um, and seeing what the program could do for them as well. See on how that impacts their character in a positive way. Impact. We always say it impacts the mind, body and spirit. And I really believe that. I know a lot of that stuff is coach talk, but I really believe that stuff. I really do. I wouldn't be at that program, um, but it is rewarding. And it's, you know, I've always said, uh, you know, I, one of my wife's friends a couple of years ago, um, there was a time when, you know, I was getting a little overloaded because when I do this low, so, okay, for example, when I do the matchup show in, and I'm traveling, obviously I didn't travel this year because of COVID, but when I'm doing the matchup show, I travel out to Philly. I fly to Philly on Thursday afternoon. We taped the show Friday morning in Mount Laurel, New Jersey at NFL Films. Well, I go from the green room, uh, get out of my suit, and put on my coaching gear. And then I go to the airport, and then I fly to O'Hare. And then from O'Hare, I take an Uber to the stadium, wherever they were at home or whether they were away game. And I just put my suitcase in the sideline, and I grab the headset and start coaching. Wow. So it goes it goes fast. It goes fast. And... Um, you know, one time I was uh, talking with one of my wife's friends, and it was in the off season. She said, are you going to coach next year? I said, I think I am. She said, you know, is it the time commitment a lot? I said, it's a ton. It's a ton. But um, she said something I always remember. She said, you know, they're always if you take some time off, there will always be boys to coach. And I said, I understand, but there won't be these boys. Mm. Okay? There won't be these boys that are going to be seniors. So – and like I said, I think I, as much as the time commitment it is, uh, my, my wife is so supportive of it. My boys are supportive of it. Um, I, the best way to say it, though, is I think I need it in my life. That's the best way I can say it. I know that's that, that's not a great answer. No, it um, is. It, no, Matt, it's a, but, it's, it's a great answer because I, I, it's weird. I feel similarly. Like, it's, it's a weird thing where these things that we love. So, like, I, I'm teaching – Essentially, I'm teaching broadcasting. So, right. so I, I call myself a scholar practitioner. I'm teaching what I love. And when you're doing that, there is a, a part of you that wasn't filled. Like, it wasn't filled. And then you have these moments with your students 
where you're going back over the basic stuff of the things that you love and you're falling in love with it again when you're in front of them and you see them getting as excited about these things as you're getting excited about. Like, I completely get what you're talking about, even from the the standpoint of being at a dry erase board in, in a classroom on Jackson. Like, it's the same type of thing where you this thing that that has been a part of you for as long as it has and with football for you it has been basically your whole life and when it's over trying to trying to, to to reach that point where you are fulfilled by what it is you're doing to be able to share it with other people i think is a wonderful way to approach going about it and that's why i really admire about what you've done is that you are taking it back to like a really basic level of here's someone I'm sure you probably get a couple players that have never played tackle football and this is their first opportunity to play ball and you're teaching them from the basics and then to see them two, three, four years later and what they've done and how they evolve, it's it's a it's a calling. Like I, I really do think the teaching and coaching are callings. And it's hard to even describe how wonderful a feeling it is when you feel like you're having impact. No, I would agree with that. And you bring up a great point. We have a senior corner who came to IC to play basketball and didn't really play football until the end of his freshman year. Uh, you know, end of the freshman football season, he came out for the team. And to see his development, and now he's got uh, – He's going to go play at Eastern next year. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, those are the rewarding moments. But here's the other thing. is the rewarding moments. And I tell some people all the time is high school football is a little different because, yes, we've had a lot of success. And we've had some players go on. You know, Kylie Saunders is going to be the starting linebacker at Purdue next year. I mean, that's a big-time program in a Power 5 conference. But that's just a small slice of it, though, a small slice of it. You know, 95% of you know, high school players are not going to go on and play in college. So this is important to them too. And just how important it is for them for their growth in high school. And I've always said this about high school athletics, whether it doesn't matter what we're sport we're talking about, football, gymnastics, it, it doesn't matter. It's a social aspect of it because high school, as you know, high school is hard. Yes. It's hard. It was hard for me. You know, it, it, some of the stuff is just, it, it's awkward, right? It's socially awkward at times. So to have, something that's bigger than yourself and to have something with like-minded people around you helps so much in terms of your development as a student, your development socially. And it's not about, oh, I'm, I'm going. I'm. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm playing high school football to get a scholarship. No, I'm playing high school football because it's great for me. And it's great for my development in all phases of my life. And that's one of the greatest things and most rewarding things about being a high school coach is to see the impact it can have on your student athletes and how it helps them to create time management skills in the classroom, how it helps them become a better student, better in the community, 
better at home with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle. And, and that stuff's just, just as rewarding. You've had a bunch of coaches throughout your life. And I know that all of them played a role in the man that you are right now. But is there one of them whose words echo inside your head even now? Um, sure. You know, I, and that's a great point because I've, I've, I've played for so many different coaches, you know, even going down to your strength coaches in the weight room. But I think it always starts with your high school coach. You know, Jim Covert was my high school coach. Lee Majeski at Glumbard West. Tom Salerno at Glumbard West. Um, Ken Mills at Glumbard West. You know, because that's the time when I, what we were just discussing right there when you're developing and you're trying to figure out your own way um, and, and to navigate through, you know, four years of high school. Um, they were influ- influential in my life. They were. I still talk to Jim Covert. He's my high school coach at, at Glumbard West. Um, influential. Now, obviously, my college coaches were, 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 so, were so great, too. You know, I played for two great head coaches in Hayden Fry and, and Kirk Ferentz. And Kirk's still there. Think about that. At the University of Iowa, we've had two coaches in the last, what, 43, 44 years. That's unheard of. Um, so, obviously, your head coaches play a role. But at the high school level, your head coach is, you know, a much more of a bigger factor. You spend much more time with your head coach at the high school level than you do in college and especially in, in, the, in the National Football League. So um, I would say my high school coaches. I really believe that. We always joke with you about where you were selected in the draft and mm-hmm. the famous person who was selected <laughs> right there with you. Is it mm-hmm. weird for you to look up after – you know, a wife, a bunch of boys, you being a coach, and to see Tom Brady out there getting ready to play for a Super Bowl? Another Super Bowl, too. That's the, uh, <laughs> no, it is wild. It is. And, and, you know, my boys are old enough now where they understand, um, you know, how great Tom Brady is. I remember my, my youngest boy, Ronnie, is only seven, and we were watching Tom Brady. This was last year. And I remember saying to my wife, we're watching, I can't believe he's still playing. I just, I can't believe he's still playing. And Ronnie said, well, why aren't you still playing? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, <laughs> well this is, uh, you know, Ronnie, Tom Brady is maybe the greatest football player of all time. Maybe. I mean, he's in that discussion. I said, your dad was not. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know what? I got to play against Tom in college. Great games against Tom in college. And then uh, played against him a couple times in the league as well. Um, do they is, do they know the connection, crazy. the draft connection with you two? They do now. Yeah, they understand it now. They understand it now. Um, which is, I remember writing about that for the Tribune too. Um, one time uh, leading up to the draft, and Mike said, "Do you want to write about the drafts?" I said, "Yeah." What about we tell the story? And we told him because I remember uh, on draft day. And look, when you're a sixth round pick, pick number one ninety eight, you're waiting a long time. Now back then, the draft was just Saturday and Sunday. But I remember, uh, you know, finally getting that call um, from the Rams and just looking at the TV. And I said, oh, there's Tom Brady, you know, from Michigan. And now look at it, whatever it is, 20, what, 20 years later, 21 years later, and he's playing in another Super Bowl. And he's playing at a high level, too. That's the great thing about Tom Brady is he's mastered the game so much, even though when you're a 43-year-old athlete, you're not the same athlete as you were at 24. Everyone understands that. Father Tom is undefeated. But how he has developed or adapted his game over time to fit the modern NFL. And it's still, for everyone to see on the tape right now, when Tom Brady is a clean pocket, 
Doesn't matter that he's 43 years old. He can still light you up. I want to talk about one of your teammates because you you have always tried to kind of tell the story of Sean Taylor and mm-hmm. and what he meant to you. And I'd love to know what was it about him that you two were able to connect the way that you did? Well, I think anytime you have a teammate in the NFL, look, the NFL is different, okay? It's, it's not the same as because teams change so much um, with free agency and guys getting cut and a new coach comes in and half the locker room gets cut or traded or moved. Um, it's, an all, it's an ever-changing situation, different than college football and obviously much different than the high school level. Um, but you gain connections with people. Um, and Sean Taylor was, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest football players I've ever, I've ever seen ever in terms of the things he could do on the football field, in terms of his football intelligence that was off the charts, um, in terms of desire to win, desire to prepare, desire to produce on Sundays. You don't see much like that all the time. You know, everyone has seen high-level athletes when they're in the NFL. You see guys that can do things that only a few people in the world can really do. Uh, Sean had that ability, but he had something else, too, in in terms of really just his competitive drive. And he had what I call, though, uncoachable traits. Um, You know, I think Tyron Matthew is a great example, too, since we're looking at the secondary. Tyron Matthew has this natural awareness or this natural instinct, just like Sean did to find the football, to make plays. You can't teach someone that. You just can't. They're uncoachable traits. You're born with them. You're born with them as a football player. And and Sean had all that as well. Um, And I think he would have been one of the greatest safeties of all time. I really believe that. Maybe one of the greatest football players of all time. He was that talented. Um, And when he, I remember when Sean came uh, to Washington after we drafted him, and he was out in the practice field for the first time during uh, back then. We had a much longer offseason back then, so we were on the field early, right after the draft. And just to see a move at that size uh, was something I, I, you rarely ever see. You rarely ever see. Uh, and then you heard the stories about Sean and how hard he worked, you know, without telling people. That was the other thing about, you know, playing with Sean Taylor is how hard he worked behind the scenes as well. And didn't make a big deal about that. You know, so uh, just, uh, you know, such a sad story that about Sean when he passed, but um, an unbelievable football player and an outstanding teammate. And that's the thing about the NFL. You play with so many guys. If you have outstanding teammates, uh, you know, to me, that's a special thing in the NFL. I, I really believe that's a special thing in the NFL and teams that win like these teams right now that are playing the Super Bowl this week. I guarantee there's a ton of outstanding teammates on that team. It was sacrificed for one another. How hard was it for you to process his death? I think it was hard for everyone that played with him. Hard for everyone that knew him, too. Um, you know, it, it, it was, I think it was challenging for everyone. Um, and obviously, I didn't play with Sean for as long as time as guys like Ryan Clark and those guys did who stayed in Washington. I moved on to Buffalo, but... Um, it was extremely hard, extremely hard for those coaches, too, for Greg Williams, Steve Jackson, our defensive back coach, um, all the people in Washington at that time. I'm sure all the people at the University of Miami as well. Um, 
Let yeah. me let me let me ask you about ESPN. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do appreciate you you reaching out and, and being a part of this. I I love watching you on ESPN. That platform has evolved into these spaces now where if you're a junkie when it comes to football, if you're someone who really wants to learn the game, now with the way that that they've expanded with ESPN Plus, all the different ways that your stuff on on dot com, it's really great that there are all these different types of outlets on in which you can teach football to the football fan. When they approached you, did they they have a plan in mind for you saying, hey, Matt, we've read your stuff. We've heard your stuff. We've seen your stuff. This is what we want to do with you. They did. Chris Brow. Um, <clears throat> who is now at The Athletic, but Chris uh, was a major part of bringing me to ESPN. We did have a plan, and it was a plan to, you know, no different than being a player. I've always said this. Uh, the best players, the more you can do, right? Any sport, the more you can do. Um, and that was kind of our plan at ESPN, that I would be able to write columns for .com, be able to write fantasy, be able to rank players for fantasy, be able to do matchup eventually. Um, so you get you get involved in a bunch of different things, okay? You use your skill set in a bunch of different ways as a writer, as a communicator, as an analyst, and you try to put that all together. And I think we've done an excellent job of doing that at ESPN, of hitting different things. Now, once the Super Bowl is over, I'll roll into the draft, roll into the draft coverage, um, and evaluate talent that way. Um, and we'll have two, we have two draft shows for matchup. Uh, we have them in April every year. And, I, and I, those are two of my favorite shows of the year um, because it's, you get to watch tape, you get to evaluate players, you get to try to find the scheme fits where they would be best in the National Football League, what coaching would be the best for them. It's one of my favorite parts of the year. Um, but with Chris, when I was hired, that was kind of the plan is let, let's try a bunch of different things. Let's use your skill set in a bunch of different ways where you can reach different audiences. And I think we've done a great job of that. On Sundays during the regular season, I co-write a fantasy column every Sunday night. And it's different. I work with Tristan. And Tristan has more of the analytics side of it or the numbers side of it where I have more of this is what I'm seeing. For example, David Montgomery. I think David David's a great example. Once the Bears start running outside zone, and for your listeners out there, outside zone, zone blocking up front. Everyone steps to one side, and you're blocking an area. And what that does, it gives the running back options, right? He can push the ball outside. He can cut back inside. Uh, once they started doing that with David, I said, look, uh, he's going to take off. He's got all the traits. He was a zone runner at Iowa State. This is the perfect offense for him. And I think it took Matt Nagy some time to figure that out, but he did. So, we, you know, you apply that to fantasy. Say, look, David Montgomery. He's playing the scheme-specific offense right now that fits his traits as a runner and his pro running style, you know. And Tristan's got the numbers, and I said, look, I think he's going to take off. And look what David did the rest of the year. Sometimes we overthink things, Lawrence, especially with football. You know, we're not building rockets to send people to the moon, okay? It's football. So you take a player like David Montgomery, who fits as his own runner. Uh, you start playing better in the interior of the offensive line. And he's a, he's a volume runner. He's a guy that needs 15, 20 carries a game or 15 to 20 touches a game. And look at the production you get. And off of that, what do you do? Now you're scheming and defining throws for your quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. That can make you competitive. And that's what it did with Mitch at the end of the year. It made him competitive, made the team competitive. Because they're putting him in situations 
where they can define throws for him, give him open windows, let him use, utilize his movement traits on boot and play action, making the game less complicated. And sometimes I think it's the best answer in coaching or teaching, and we've already discussed that. But let's make it less complicated and put our position, our players in a position to produce, and I think we'll be okay. Do you think that you'll go beyond this level of coaching, or are you, like, super good with – being a high school coach and, and that access point that, that you're at with these young men? Well, I'll tell you, Lawrence, and that's a good question because when I got done playing, that was one of an option for me was do I get involved in coaching, whether at the college level or at the professional level. And my wife and I discussed it, and we thought about it, went back and forth, because that is a, a huge commitment for your family, huge commitment. You're going to move a lot. You're going to get fired a lot. That's part of coaching. Um, you know, I have four boys. Well, that's that was right after Matthew was born. And my oldest son, Matthew, has Down syndrome. So we had a decision to make. And there was more than that because, I, you know, I had just got released from the Buffalo Bills. I had played seven years in the league. And I had opportunities to go play in Atlanta and Philadelphia. And I remember saying to my wife, what is an eighth year in the league going to do? What's it going to change? Well, what's going to change in terms of my – career what is one more year going to do and we had to make that decision based on also are we going to take Matthew anyone has a child with special needs you know take him away from his therapist his doctors and fly across the country to play football and cover kicks for 16 more weeks what is that going to do that also impacted my decision to coach and I made the right decision I always say that I made the right decision to go back to school and become a writer which was my original passion but I still have this passion for coaching as well and like we were talking earlier, I, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in outside of your family and work, you, you need something that you're passionate about to kind of complete you as a person. And for me, that is coaching. But I'm perfectly, you know, I, I love coaching at the high school level. I do. I love it because it allows me to be a coach, but also be a writer and also have time for my family. And I think if you dive in, if you go into coaching at the higher levels, college or the pros, well, then you're not going to, then I'm not going to be a writer anymore. I'm not. And, and, and then you move on with something else in your life. And I'm just not ready to do that, Lawrence. I'm not ready to do that. And I want the time with my family as well. And high school coaching gives you that time. One more thing. I got to ask you because I've, I've experienced this from the show that I did with Alex and Olin and Matt and Lance. How, how different is it? you watching a game versus me watching a game like how how are you dissecting or digesting what's happening in real time versus the average person who's watching a game um well i always look at the corners first i watch the defensive backs because the defensive backs would tell you a lot i mean you know you can't see everything obviously on a tv copy anytime to analyze it after on the tape everyone understands that but if you're watching in real time i always start with the corners Corners tell you what's going on usually. Are they pressed? Are they off? Are they jamming at the line of scrimmage and sinking? They're probably playing zone coverage. I always start with the corners. And, I, you know, because I look at the game from a different scope. If you were to ask someone who's the next quarterback, they're going to look at it totally differently, totally differently. And I've experienced that with my coworkers at ESPN. We see the game differently. doesn't mean that either way is right or wrong. We just see it differently. So when I'm, but when I'm watching on TV, that's the first thing I look for. It's those corners. What are they showing me pre-snap? What are they doing post-snap? That gives you a good feel of what's going on with the play. And eventually the ball is going to go somewhere. 
right? It's going to go somewhere. You're going to hand it off, you're going to throw it. Quarterback's going to run around, do something. But I always start with those corners, and that's kind of how I build out from there. Start with the corners, then my eyes go to the second level with the linebacker. What are they showing me? And that's how I try to analyze in real time. And you can never be perfect. You can't. And, and trust me, there's times I'm sitting there hoping that the network gives me another replay saying, man, I really wish I knew what that safety was doing on that play. Please give me a wide replay. Sometimes they do, sometimes I don't. Um, I like to rewind a lot when I watch games on TV. I'm always rewinding, saying, okay, especially goes commercial. I want to go back to the second down play because I get something from there. There's something I'm missing. You know, trying to evaluate how this team is putting this drive together, what their early game plan is, how they're adjusting. Um, so, yeah, that's how I watch it, Lawrence. A little different, you know, a little different, but. Um, it's very different. I, I know that as even as someone who, who covers football, who covered it as a beat reporter, I feel like there are things that I pick up on that I know, but like sitting in the room with those guys, I'm, I'm someone who needs a replay. I'd be like, oh, okay, this is what happened because this guy missed this assignment, blah, 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 blah. What amazes me about people like you is that if I was sitting there next to you, you'd be reacting in the moment. And and I'm still trying to play, like, catch up with it. Like, I having the chance to sit and watch a game with Olin Krutz, it was like going to grad school. Like, <laughs> like trying to, to, to be able to sit there and pick that guy's brain as he's watching games is just unbelievable and it's so fun to see like to see how they're dissecting it like moment by moment block by block or this guy he he messed up his footwork at the snap and because of that the play failed and here's why and then being able to to recognize that immediately I think is an incredible talent and I'm glad that more people like them and like you are sharing that talent with with the world um, because because I, I think that it makes us a much smarter football nation when we have those things available to us. Well, I agree. You know, Olin's great. And <laughs> uh, Olin's great at what he does. Uh, I've gotten to know Olin very well post-career. Um, one of the best guys I know. And, uh, yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. It, it, here's the great part about that. If Olin, Olin and I are watching the game, we're going to be looking at different things, right? You know, because he's going to look at it from a front, you know, front seven on defense, offensive front, uh, focusing the offensive line where I'm going to look, you know, kind of a wider scope, seeing the back half, the secondary and the linebackers. So it's just, you know, it's the same game. And that's the cool thing about it. It's the same game where you can have different viewpoints and different scopes looking at the same football game. But I'll tell you this, um, even when I watch the tape, I don't know everything. I, I've always said this to people, is there some things you have to be in the huddle to know. You have to. I was watching a play, you know, starting to prep for this for the Super Bowl of Kansas City and Tampa in week 12. And I watched it thing 50 times. I'm saying, well, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? I can't figure this out. And there's some things that are, especially in, in the defensive secondary and coverage, coverage schemes, that there's little details in there that you have to be in the game plan meeting. You got to be in the huddle to know. And that happens to us in the matchup show, though. There's plays I really want to do. And I'm looking at this one guy saying, how am I going to explain this? Because, you know, I know the coverage. I know it's quarters coverage, but why is this guy doing this? What is he doing? What is he, where is that? Why are his eyes over here? He's obviously being coached to do that. And those are the little details that even as an ex-player and someone who studies the game, you can't know everything. 
And I think you have to be honest about that. You have to be honest about that. I know, I know a lot of stuff, I think, but there's some things, you know, you got to be in the film room, you, you know, with the team, or you got to be in the huddle getting the coverage call. Um, but yeah, looking at the game like that, that's how I watch it. You know, I relax when I watch the Hawks play. When I watch Iowa play, but even when I'm watching Iowa play, I'm watching <laughs> starting with the secondary, I'll be honest. But, you know, I, I don't, when I'm watching Iowa play, I watch Iowa as an alum. That's what I watched in there. I watched Iowa as an alum and a fan of Co- Coach Ferentz and that coaching staff. And I, I sit back and relax a little bit. And then you can open a butt heavy and relax. I know that's right. So so <laughs> I went through the game log, of, like game logs of your career before we started talking. Please tell me that you have the ball that you intercepted Tom Brady on. I do. It's in my office right now. Yes! <laughs> that, I, that thing was on a plane next to me on the way home from Foxborough. Trust me. That, uh, and a great story about that game, though. Okay, so that was 2002, Green Bay Packers, and we had a, fun, a really good year. We got beaten in the playoffs by Michael Vick. Um, we were 12-4 and four that year, and we went out to Foxborough, and we had so many guys banged up. We were signing guys on Thursday off the street to play, not just to dress, to play in the secondary. We are bringing in guys just to play. We were that injured in the secondary. And we went out there with basically four new starters. And two of them just showed up in the middle of the week, and we beat Tom Brady. It just goes to show you never know, man. Obviously, we had Brett Favre and Amon Green and an offensive line and, uh, you know, phenomenal football team. We had a defensive front that was forcing the ball to come out that game. But I always remember that. I always remember pregame um, looking over at us and probably thinking that, <laughs> who are these guys? But we went out there and played well. And I remember the play forever. It was – a dig route, you know, a deep end breaker. Those break between 12 and 14 yards. I was playing cover two, and I just said, you know, because this isn't really in my mentality. I was more alignment and assignment guy, really buttoned up, trying to do everything right. But I saw the wide receiver, I think it was Deion Branch, breaking inside. I said, I'm going to go get it. And I got there early. I don't tell people that, but I got there a little early. (laughs) I had some contact. (laughs) And uh, there's a picture. It was in, like, the USA Today, and and it's the ball got, like, a little tipped. So it kind of flipped over the shoulder branch, and I caught it with one hand. So I tell people it was a one-handed pick. It really wasn't, but the picture says it was. So I say, yeah, I had a one-handed pick against Brady. Went up and snatched it. What are you talking about, man? But, uh, yeah, I do have the ball. It's in my office right now. And cool. I always have that. I mean, that's cool. It's Tom Brady, man. Yeah, that's an artifact. That's a family heirloom, man, that you have right there. <laughs> like, you, you get to, on Super Bowl Sunday, be like, you know that guy out there? Yeah, I got him. <laughs> I got him. I got him once. There's a picture of me with a one-handed interception of the goat. That's me. That's right. That's your father. I did those things. Well, Matt, I always remember this, though, off of that, you know, uh, 1998 at Kinnick Stadium, Iowa, Michigan. We lost 12-9 to 9 or 11-9, to 9, you know, classic 1990s Big Ten game. And uh, Brady smoked me on a slant route for a touchdown. It was Ty Streets. Ty Streets. I remember Ty Streets from, from yeah. my time yeah. playing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, South suburbs, yeah, tie streets, and um, he smoked me in the slant, and Brady smoked me in the throw. So uh, he got me there. Uh, but yeah, that's football. That stuff happens, right? It, it does, man. I, I really, I have no right to say this, but I'm really proud of what what you're doing, both at ESPN with your boys and with your team coaching them. It's really a wonderful story, and I'm glad that you have reached a level of national notoriety that I think that you deserve because when you were doing stuff with the score, like it was clear 
that that you were going to make a big impact on football if someone was smart enough to give you uh, the 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 format and the platform to do stuff on and i think the espn is is done a wonderful job of of making sure that you are getting all this stuff to the people so i just want to say congratulations man i'm really proud of you and i I thank you so much for for being on my podcast well i appreciate that low and you know you and i go back a long way i remember doing doing hits with you at the score and hosting with you at the score and that was a big part of my development too i tell you what the first time i went on the score man i was nervous i was extremely nervous the first time i went on tv even now at times i get nervous i mean it takes time it takes time to develop in any walk of life any profession what you're doing and just like a player you got to play right you need reps you need reps at this stuff so starting at score starting the chicago tribune the national football post the the different steps i took to get to this point those were all reps i needed those reps i needed editors to send stuff back and say not good enough you know i need professors to tell me this essay isn't good enough do it again you know you need that stuff you need to be coached hard you need to be taught hard if you want to get to where you want to go Thanks as always, man. I appreciate this. All right, Lowell. Thank you. So that is Matt Bowen. That is his story. And I'm glad that he is out there doing what he's doing, teaching all of us to be better football fans and observers of the game. You can watch him on the NFL matchup show. I love when I see him on TV just shining and teaching and doing all that cool stuff. And you should be following him on Twitter and Instagram. Like, I love his Instagram feed because he'll just – here are three things you need to know about this particular player or, like, he had just done the – when the, the move went down between Jared Goff and, and Matthew Stafford, like, he was able to break that down. Matt Bowen 41 is where you can find him on Twitter and on Instagram. He breaks all the stuff down from a really great perspective. And I'm glad that I get the opportunity occasionally to talk football with him. And he, if he wants to, to elevate himself as a coach at some point, I, I think that any program, college or pro, would, would serve themselves by having him be a part of it. I'm happy that, that he was available this week, too. Like I said, I wanted to... I don't ordinarily do like, hey, it's the first week of baseball or anything like that. But make, seeing that he was available, it made all the sense in the world to put my episode with him out. So I thank Matt Bowen. I thank his wife, too, for giving us like enough time because she is out here fighting the good fight as a teacher and as a mom. So I appreciate her making it easy for him to, to, to sit down and talk with me as well. As I said the the front of the episode, there's some expansion that's going on with House of L, and soon I'll be able to make some announcements on it. There's also going to be a couple of one-off episodes that I'm going to produce and bring to you because I think there are some smart people who could use a, a home, uh, can use a home, meaning a place to put their stuff so basically it works like this if any of my colleagues are like hey i need to do some stuff i would like to to do an episode i'm here for it so if you are one of my colleagues and you're listening to this and you got something smart and you think that people will listen to it 
I'm I'm here to talk with you about putting it on. Like I'm I'm very focused on growing this thing. It's almost to the point where it's driving me a little mad. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like it's all of these things that I guess I wasn't trying to do. You know how like you you think you have all the answers to stuff and that you don't do anything about it. I'm now in this place where I'm doing some stuff about it and it's driving me a little wacky, but I'm getting in touch with my entrepreneurial side and hopefully it'll work out. If you've got suggestions on people you'd like to hear on the podcast, house of L podcast at gmail.com. If you are someone who runs a company or is in charge of a budget, and would like to be down with this, what we're doing, House of L Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can do it. So that's the end of our episode. This was phenomenal. Wonderful, wonderful episode. Big thanks to Matt Bowen for being on. I got more football stuff as the week comes out. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I got a little surprise for you later on this week. Tell people about this episode, though, for real. I think everyone needs to hear it. I'm even, I think, play a little portion of this on the score because it's so good. Go check out some of the other episodes, too. Go download. Just go look through the list. I think that you'll find some people that you may have missed who have some really great stories to tell, too. I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.